I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. You join us again in the bowels of New European headquarters here in the library. Um, a little bit later on, I'll be speaking to Steve Anglesey about uh, the opening a uh, few days of the Brexit negotiations, and of course we'll be crowning our Brexiteer of the week. But now I'm joined by uh, Jerry Scott. Hi, Jerry. Hello. Um, we're going to start by looking at some of the news from this week, and firstly, the Queen's speech. Now, a little bit threadbare, a little bit slimmed down. Jerry, what was your overall thoughts? Well, I mean, it, it was slimmed down, wasn't it? I think really she just wanted to get off to off to ask Scott, didn't she? She wanted to get out of there. Um, but there was a lot left out I think was really the main thing you had this this Tory manifesto that had these policies in some some popular some not so much but then things just didn't see the light of day um and I I think that kind of may reflects the way the election went for the Tories well absolutely and they they are they would certainly have hoped to have a deal with the DUP of course before the um the Queen's speech um she would have hoped not to not to have not to have to have a deal, but to go into it without a deal on the eve of the Queen's speech, the DUP basically said no, and we want more of everything. Um, was that a canny move on their part to get more, Jerry, or do you think um, do you think they're playing too hard to get? Um, no, I think they've got the Tories over a barrel a bit, um, so I think that was probably quite a canny move from them. They're, it's a bit of a give us the money situation, isn't it? They've got no choice, really, have they? The well, Tories, no. I don't think. And what else um, are they going to do? Exactly, they've got no other no other bedfellows, unless, of course, uh, the Lib Dems. Now they're getting a, a new leader, change their mind. But we'll come to the Lib Dems. <laughs> um, so let's actually look at the some of the some of the stuff that the, what, let's talk about the stuff that was included first, and we'll get to the stuff that wasn't. Um, so tons of Brexit stuff. Now eight bills might sound like not very many um, to, to people who aren't entirely sure how Westminster works, but I can assure you that is a heck of a lot of stuff to get through. And this is going to be basically all about Brexit for two years, Jerry, isn't it? It's all going to be about Brexit. Um, out of those eight bills, I, the Great Repeal Bill always sounds so dramatic to me and sounds like something that you read about in uh, in history books. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of work to get through. Um, so whilst there are a lot of bills, there there's a lot of stuff to do, isn't there, before over the next two years? There is a heck of a lot of stuff to do. A lot of it's not that sexy, but one of the ones that is sexy, I think, or contentious, is the immigration bill. Because it seems to suggest that we're going to get um, immigration down to the tens of thousands, 
but we're still going to let in the brightest and the best. I mean, it's up for grabs still, isn't it, really? I think it's um, it's difficult because I know this is on the backdrop of Brexit, but the Tories have kept saying we're going to get immigration down to these numbers and actually the numbers have risen over the last few years. So it could, I see it as a bit of a... Yeah, okay, let's see it when it happens, type thing. She's obsessed with this tens of thousands figure. I I think it haunts her that she failed to get it down to tens of thousands Mm. when she was Home Secretary, and now she she sort of fosters it upon every Home Secretary, uh, well, Amber Rudd at least, that comes along. Poison chalice. Yeah, it's a a hospital pass somewhat, I think. Um, Okay, so there's Brexit, eight bills. That's going to take a long time. There's going to be amendments from Labour, no doubt. It's going to be really tricky. The Lords might even uh, might even cause some trouble. And then we're talking about Holyrood as well, potentially causing Theresa May some trouble. It's going to be a rocky road. Um, but there is some non-Brexit stuff in there. Um, I'm a particular fan of the Space Industry Bill, which sounds buccaneering, doesn't it? I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> Um, There is some quite sensible stuff in there as well. Uh, The draft domestic violence and abuse bill, I don't think anyone can argue against that. And also the the stuff on um, tenants' fees, which is, if anyone's ever rented, especially in London, they're dreadful, very expensive things for what seems to be a little bit of photocopying and a signature. Um, So getting rid of them, I think, will win win, uh, the Tories some some fans as well. but what about the stuff that wasn't there? Fox hunting gone, dementia tax yeah, gone. That's an interesting one. I, I, in my um, away from the new European life, I do quite a lot of work on, on health and that kind of thing. Um, and social care is something I've really been following. So it's interesting that after all that, after the U-turn, after they're saying there'd be no floor and then saying that they'd consult on it, it's now just boiled down to one line of, yeah, we'll ask people and see what they see what they want to do. It seemed like a whole load of fuss about nothing, really. Is it not just... I predicted, actually, in a piece that I wrote on the eve of the Queen's speech, that there would be something Mm -hmm. in there, some kind of legislation. They made such a big deal out of the fact that this was a a moment in history that we needed to tackle the short-term, the mid-term, the long-term issue with this, and not just the short-term. you know, I spoke to Theresa May twice during the campaign where she told me that this was absolutely a critical thing and it was going to be difficult, but it had to be done. For it just to be cast aside as a review now seems extraordinary, really, doesn't it? Haven't they done more damage by doing that than they would have done by, by slimming some legislation down and still trying to get something through? I think so, but I think that became such a kind of publicity car crash for her and something that people really grabbed onto. Um, and it went against her core voters, didn't it, mm. that... That combined with the winter fuel payment, which, by the way, also wasn't mentioned either. Nope. Um, it, I think it was such a car crash for her that she just wanted to avoid it completely at the moment. I think um, the, all, all that talk of being brave that we heard at the start of the campaign where she was going to make difficult decisions. Remember the Daily Mail front page that said, thank goodness, a prime minister who tells us the truth. Well, that's changed somewhat, hasn't it? Now she hasn't got those votes and the uh, um, the DUP have somewhat got her over a barrel because they are anti-austerity, of course. And this might be where some of the sticking points have been, the DUP and the Tories don't see eye to eye on uh, austerity measures. The other the other one, of course, that stands out, again, controversial, but but very much a May, uh, a May policy was the, the reintroduction of grammar schools. We're not going to see that. No, I mean, she, she loved that... Uh that kind of policy uh, commitment and she the reintroduction of grammar schools but it's all kind of quiet on the western front on it which i think 
actually is going to be welcomed by a lot of people. I don't think it was as popular as she maybe expected it to be with the public. No, I agree. Uh, gra- grammar schools um, is one of those sort of good old uh, Tory heartland policies, isn't it? But I think when when you look when you look at some of the the, the facts behind grammar schools, uh, I'm not saying that they've not done a lot of good for for pupils from working class backgrounds that maybe got into them. But if you look at the wider area around grammar schools. They actually affect the ability of the the comps to to do a good job as well. They they drag other schools down um, when they maybe elevate themselves. So I think I, I think as a um, as, as something that's gone, it's probably going to be one of the ones that is um, that is not missed. The kind of educational landscape now is completely different to when grammar schools maybe mooted before. We've got academies, free schools, the the different schools that they'd be competing with. It's a completely different landscape. Do you think it was more a policy that sounded like a nice, you know, we had all these rose-tinted darling buds of May glasses on looking back to these... Absolutely, good old days. Yeah, Yeah. it was one of those kind of policies, wasn't it? And and I think that maybe it shocked her because there was a feeling last summer, last autumn after Brexit, that Britain was going to go back to the good old days of... uh, you know, lashings of uh, ginger beer and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. And, and actually, because the, the election uh, result has proved somewhat different, I think um, I think Britain is maybe a little bit more progressive than she believed. Uh, let's leave the Queen's speech there. In fact, you know what? We've spoke about the Queen's speech now for longer than the Queen actually spoke for. <laughs> <laughs> we've done it. We've, but that's actually true. Um, so let's talk about the Lib Dems. Um, Joe Swinson is not standing we've learned that since uh, since the last pod but we've also heard from Vince Cable who is standing we're still waiting to hear from Ed Davey but we expect he is going to stand but Norman Lamb who we pretty much assumed was going to stand last week isn't and his reason for not standing is Brexit Jerry, what do you think about Norman's decision? it's a funny one isn't it because obviously he stood before um, and lost um I did expect him to stand again, and I'm really, really surprised um, that he hasn't. Um, he said, you know, that he doesn't want a hard Brexit, um, and but a lot, but a lot actually of what he said, whilst announcing that he's not standing, has been about inequality and uh, things like that. I mean, it's a funny one because I, I really, really expected him to stand. I did. He's given a long statement on why, um, which pretty much says that he found it difficult to to reconcile the, some of the views that his constituents have. Uh, his constituency in North Norfolk voted uh, quite heavily to leave the EU with, with what he would need to do as a leader and what the National Party would, would expect him to do, and that would be to oppose Brexit and ask for a second referendum. So on that score, I think it, it's probably sensible. He, he, you know, he may well have surrendered his seat if he'd taken up the leadership um, and he's just had a real battle to to keep hold of it. Um, so I, I think um, uh, for his constituency, he probably has made the right decision um, and, a, and a sensible one in the, in the light of his views on Brexit. Um, but yes, he also goes into lots of things. He, he talked about the, the uh, Grenfell Tower fire and how um, he, he wanted a, a, a sort of different type of politics as well. So it almost felt like it was his uh, his announcement that he would stand um, and then he, he's just changed the top of it to say that he wouldn't. Yeah, it really did feel like it could have been drafted either way. <laughs> Certainly the, the stuff towards the end. Um, but it's interesting that, that Brexit has, has taken another victim there because I think if, if 
I think Norman would have stood if we hadn't have had a Brexit vote. Yeah. And it, it does make me wonder if actually the, the next big victim of, of Brexit will be the Liberal Democrats as a party because they didn't they did okay um, under Tim Farron. I didn't expect them. I thought they'd probably win as many seats as they lost. So they, they did better than I expected. But they're still now a minor party. And um, and you wonder that if, if they carry on beating this drum for a second referendum and then there isn't one and they've wasted two or three years of their existence going on about that, you start to wonder what the what their point is. Do you, do you, are you as gloomy about the Lib Dems as me? Um, I am, actually, yeah. I, I said um, a couple of weeks ago on our podcast on election week um, that I thought it was a bit foolish, really, of them to make such a giant issue about a second referendum um because i feel like the public um who voted for remain a good chunk of them have maybe not reconciled um, themselves to the idea but kind of thought right if we're going to do it let's get on with it now i think maybe they would have been better um focusing their energies on looking for you know concessions on softer brexit rather rather than going all out let's let's reverse it yeah, yeah, I think they've got some difficult difficult times ahead. I I, I don't know who I fancy really. I think um I think Vince well there's no one else puts their hands in the ring because it will be Vince, but I, I think he'd be a stabilizing leader. I think um, I think Vince is a bit um a bit of the Liberal Democrats answer to Jeremy Corbyn, really, to be really? honest. Yeah, they're both of they're both of that that era, we're both a bit of a grandfatherly figure in uh, in both parties. Yeah, I can't imagine Vince um, Vince having a, a football stadium full of fans chanting his name. Well, I mean, he's a Lib Dem. But... <laughs> well, there is that. You can fit all their, all their votes into a football stadium, perhaps. Cruel. Um, but no, I, I see more as a Michael Howard figure, actually. Uh, it couldn't be much more different mm. from Jeremy Corbyn, but that kind of stabilising figure that maybe can can bring some of the, the talent through for a couple of years before standing aside and maybe when they're on a stronger a stronger footing and sort of hand over the reins. Um, okay, well, that is just about all the news. We'll be back in a second. I'll be speaking to Steve Anglesey. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858... 438840 and quoting podcast one or order online at our website www.neweuropean.co.uk stay angry fight brexit subscribe to the new european welcome back um we're going to take a little bit of a uh, more in-depth look at how david davis uh, should go about his brexit negotiations i'm joined again by jerry um and steve anglesey has joined us as well hi steve hello um so the, the negotiations are underway. Um, Mr. Davis has been uh, out meeting Mr. Barnier for uh, for the opening of those talks, and I think that they will now happen on a on a kind of rolling monthly basis until the autumn. Um, but there was a fascinating piece in the Guardian, um, I thought, uh, about uh, by Patrick Forsyth about how to how to negotiate a good deal. And he came up with a few sort of pointers. So I thought we could talk through those. His first one was to aim high. Steve, do you think that we are indeed aiming high? <laughs> well, um, we're aiming higher, a lot higher than the EU um, uh, obviously want us to, to, to aim. Um, I think you go into any negotiation, don't you, with a, a you know, with your floor position, your lowest possible thing that you're going to uh, that you're going to accept, uh, and then and then your ceiling, and uh, and there's and there's just a load of, of, of posturing 
to be done uh, to be done around that. It's none of this is is obviously helped by the situation that David Davis finds himself in, which is actually quite helpless now, isn't it? The 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 threat of walking out with no deal. Is, is has completely evaporated. Um, I think the government would fall if they tried to do anything like that. As they, you know, as as if Theresa May had been returned with a, a big majority, you know, they might well have done it, even over the the the, the rights of um, of UK citizens in the EU and the reciprocal uh, rights of, of EU citizens um, here. So, I mean, that might have ended the the negotiations right there before they'd even begun. That's not an option now. So. While we might be aiming high, you know, I think you've you've already seen from the um, from the, the the initial climb down on not negotiating um, a trade deal uh, before we negotiate the divorce bill. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be impossible for him to have keep that ceiling position uh, as a credible way of moving forward. Are we being a bit harsh then on him in that case? Because as you say, this is the way you approach a negotiation, isn't it? You start with ridiculous demands and then you meet somewhere in the middle yes totally and you know and it was probably i mean it was a stupid thing to do uh, and it uh, it was a stupid thing to do to march around saying we would walk away and no deal was better than a bad deal because everybody knew that that wasn't right but as a, as a tactical move it was obviously something that you know it was something that you were going to keep in your locker but that's that's been completely exposed now uh, and he's he's not really got anywhere to go and until there is Another election, um, which, you know, I'm still expecting to be one in the next year or so. Maybe they'll be, you know, maybe they'll prop up Theresa May until the full effects of Brexit can be felt um, and then then try and force another one. But until that happens, you know, David Davis is essentially just kicking the tyres, isn't he? There is not really very much he can do apart from spin this out, make it look good. Um, he can't do anything really controversial. He can't walk away from the table. Uh, he, can't, he can't do anything really controversial because nutters on one side or sensible people on the other side are, are going to object to it. Um, the next uh, the next point that's made in this article is, is get the other side's shopping list. Jerry, that's a fairly impossible task, I imagine, <laughs> for, for Mr Davies. Um, I, what do you think about... Um, how he would go about understanding what the EU might want to get out of this. And is it a case simply of limiting the damage for them? Yeah, I mean, I I really quite enjoyed um, Michelle Barnier's uh, sassiness in the press conference. Um, You know, in in terms of shopping lists, he said this isn't punishment and this isn't revenge. Um, But the the sassy part came when he kind of said it's about unravelling 43 years of a patiently built... Um, deal really um, so you know the problem with getting their shopping list is that they don't want us to go do they so what do they want out of this to say do you think though that they, I, I mean they know that we are sadly by well, yeah. by the looks of it going going to leave now um, and do you, do you get the hint of any anger because you you call it sassiness um, but they I get the feeling that there is a bit of ang- a bit of anger still there about what what we've done. I think there is, and I think throughout the negotiations, that's going to come out more and more. Um, and I think I think there'll be, you know, as you see with European politics, quite often some some walkouts, some chest puffing, and things like that. And I think that's going to come from that anger that is felt. And whether it is denial 
uh, or, uh, or or something or something else. I think there is still quite a lot of belief among uh, certain people in the in the EU and certain EU governments, a guy from Belgium, uh, I think was was saying this the other day that we that we will not leave, that we still will not leave. Mm. And yeah, you know, and the longer this goes on, and it's going to go on for more than two years, isn't it? It's probably going to be more like three years now. Uh, and we've already had a year of complete stasis. Mm. Um, so, um, so the longer it goes on, you know, the the, the more that belief um, may come into you know come into play. Maybe 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 we won't leave. Well, that that point brings me on to to the next bit, and possibly the most important bit, and the bit that I fear the most for keeping it civil. Uh, there's there's already been friction. We're gonna. This is gonna be ongoing now for throughout a, a long. Um, if the weather at the moment says anything to go by, long hot summer. Although it'll probably start raining once after I've said that and not and carry on until Christmas. But um, th- this could unravel fairly quickly. You get the feeling that the, that both sides are, are on on thin ice or walking on eggshells or any other cliche you can imagine. It wouldn't take much, would it, for for the for negotiations and relationships to to slide, Steve? No, I mean it's it's. I think it's fairly. I think it's fairly. Uh, you know, we, we're all taking it that the first order of business is this this question of reciprocal rights of citizens, and the and the the, the sticking point is clearly the um, you know the, the British side. I think I think our negotiating position is that the, those rights will continue in perpetuity for anyone who was here. Before uh, Article Fifty was triggered, or either on the day that Article or arrived on the day that Article Fifty was triggered, and the EU negotiating position seems to be that that should be after full Brexit is finally um, it is for we, we finally Brexit, uh, we finally jump off the cliff, and that is fairly significant, isn't it? That is two or three years of people, um, and that is something that even that. Item one could really descend into incivility. I personally think that we will back down on that and we'll back down on it reasonably quickly to move things along and then we'll get the divorce bill, which I also imagine that we will back down on fairly quickly. Yes. So do you think in that case that that um, Davis's uh, posturing and stuff has been unhelpful and that he needs to... Because he was still... He, he still In the press conference, uh, he was still quite... Um, Gung Ho. Yes, I think. I mean, I think it's been unhelpful in the past. I think it's what you would expect from him in the press conference, where he, he said the great Theresa May phrase, didn't he? Nothing has changed, which is what you what you say when everything has has changed. <laughs> what she said after the the dementia tax uh, U turn. Um, I don't think he can really say anything else. I don't think they're going to be enraged by that. I think what they will be in, enraged by is if there is no recognition. That things have changed in in private negotiation, and and I you know I, I, it would be it would be ludicrous now for him to stride about pretending that there hasn't been a softening of, of of their position as we as we said last week you know we we think that David Davis was one of the people who was trying to reach out to to, to people in the Labour Party to say is there some kind of consensus platform that we can take forward that would soften a lot of this well it seems that that um, that uh, piece of Intel was correct because yeah. they're, they're um there have been moves uh, this week to to get uh, Keir Starmer as a member of the Privy Council, um, which 
you know would would allow him to be involved in some of the confidential chats and briefings around Brexit, but also very much brings him inside an inner circle. And I think that that I think that that will continue. I think it's a given now that the Tories want to bring yeah. Labour on board um, a little bit. Um, but you know we are where we are with with uh, with Brexit and with negotiations. It's interesting, Steve, that you think it still might not happen, Jerry. Any chance, any chance of these negotiations breaking down for, for good reasons and as thinking again? I mean, I I heard a really interesting um, piece of information last night, actually, um, about there having, before, for, before Brexit, there being plans in the works that um, EU countries could put their hands up and say, on the issue of immigration, look, we've had, we've had too many people coming in for a while, we need to put a bit of a stop on it. Um, you know, immigration was a big issue in Brexit for a lot of people, Um obviously a lot of other issues as well um and i think that maybe to some people could be a bit of a point where like oh well i didn't realize that was a possibility Mm. um so does that that doesn't really affect whether talk's going to break down or not but i think that might frame how people are seeing these negotiations in a different light in that it wasn't the only option it's too late now as far as the government says it's too late now let's see let's see it's never too late um, okay, thanks very much, Jess. We'll be back in a second with Brexiteer of the Week. Brexiteer of the Week. Welcome back. Uh, Steve uh, joins me again, and we're going to crown our Brexiteer of the Week. Steve, who have we got this week? Uh, there are a couple of themes uh, emerging this week. Last week we had a, a we were talking about the, uh, the the worst Brexiteers of the week being the the Tory and UKIP candidates who turned on the electorate and basically said the people have spoken the bastards. Uh, this week uh, a couple of themes have emerged. One of them is uh, is from really ardent Brexiteers who are seem to be beginning to say that the things they said during the referendum campaign. Uh, are not actually true. Uh, so one of them is Lord Lawson, Nigella's dad. He obviously used to be a very stout man. Now he looks like a sort of crumpled uh, balloon with some of the air let out, doesn't he? <laughs> um, he was the chairman of Vote Leave and, uh, and, and until very recently has been going around rubbishing the idea um, that there would be any sort of economic impact from, uh, from Brexit. Uh, now... We've had some reports uh, of a private speech in the city of London uh, just before the election in which he was stressing the importance of Theresa May winning a huge majority uh, because he told the crowd, supposed to have told the crowd that there would be two years of uh, of economic uh, hardship following Brexit. Uh, and that it was therefore important for her to rack up as many seats as she could uh, in 2017 before losing them again mm. uh, in 2022. So a little bit different from what he was saying at the time. Uh, Michael Gove, who was obviously on the big red lie bus with Boris Johnson before stabbing Boris Johnson in the back, uh, went around saying to everybody that uh, being able to make uh, trade with uh, world partners instead of just the EU uh, would lead to uh, cheaper food. Uh, now he's the Environment Se- Secretary. He's had to uh, turn up uh, uh, in front of um, some farmers, as he did last week, and say that that isn't true, that there would be no relaxation of strict uh, standards on foreign f- imported food and therefore that the price of food wouldn't uh, go down. So two huge uh, Brexit myths exposed there by the people who were peddling him in the first place. Um, another thing that I've noticed this week is really vacuous things said 
about what will happen after Brexit. Nigel Farage, who, as regular uh, listeners will know, is a complete f***ing idiot, has uh, assured people on uh, LBC this week that we would be OK because he'd been to North Carolina making a speech with various uh, right-wingers um, he shared a platform with, and he said, uh, and I quote, the many people in North Carolina are genuinely excited about Brexit. Now, North Carolina's GDP is lower than that of Norway, so that is the uh, those are the benefits that we can um, expect out of a big trade relationship with North Carolina. Uh, Prince Andrew, I was really struck with as well. Uh, it's a it's kind of convention that the royals don't get involved in politics, isn't it? Uh, for some reason, presumably his foreign trade uh, links. Uh, he decided to talk about Brexit last week. Uh, I'll just get the quotes here. They are extremely vacuous. He said, uh, British businesses that are worried about Brexit should either look at it as a glass half empty or a glass half full. Uh, he said that UK firms should say think that the world is our oyster yeah. and that if we go over the fence, there might be some fresh grass out there. Um, I mean, he didn't, he didn't, yeah, it's good that, isn't it? I mean, he didn't say that, you know, we should all keep our sunny sides up and life is just a bowl of cherries. But um, (laughs) I think that is, we now know, don't we, why the royals don't usually get involved in politics. Um, I've made the, the, um, I've made the, the the Brexit era of the week this week is David Davis, I think, just because he's had to make such a a humiliating climb down. Uh, And I know we've talked about David Davis uh, a lot in this, uh, in this podcast. I would also like to mention uh, a a tweet from Kay Burley, who I I normally have some time for Kay Burley. I think she's, you know, whatever you think about her, she is a, uh, she's a good interviewer. She can stand up and talk uh, in front of an auto queue uh, or without an auto queue for several hours at a time. Um, on uh, Monday or Tuesday night, Monday night I think it was, she was uh, she was railing against Nick Clegg on Twitter and, and saying that Nick Clegg no longer had any uh, anything to say and he shouldn't have been given a platform on Channel 4 News. Now I found that quite incredible um, when Sky News give a regular platform to Nigel Farage, who, as as far as I know, has never been the Deputy Prime Minister. Uh, He's never had anything really valuable to say about Brexit. Uh, He's never even been an MP like Nick Clegg has and was until a couple of weeks ago. And I also thought that, you know, isn't... Look, I know Rupert Murdoch owns Sky News, and I know there's the whole Fox News thing, and I know... You know that there maybe there's some pressure on Kay Burley to be a bit more controversial, but shouldn't there be a little seam of impartiality in there somewhere? Or is now that Nick Clegg is not an MP, does that completely drop and we can say that uh, he, nobody should listen to his views? And and it must be said that whatever Nick Clegg did during the coalition, he has never sat in front of a camera and announced that the entire eastern seaboard of the United States has just been decimated in, in a terrorist attack. And he has never tweeted a photo of a dog uh, with the caption, sadness in his eyes, in response to a terrorist attack in Paris. Um, so David Davis is the, uh, is, the, is the Brexiteer of the week. Nigel Farage, still a idiot. And Kay Burley, I mean, come off it, really. Thank you, Steve. That was the New European Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Go and buy the paper. It's out now. On Log on and see us online as well at www.theneweuropean.co.uk. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe. Give us a nice review. 
um, or even send in some of your questions using the hashtag on Twitter, TNE Podcast. Um, we'll get to some of those questions perhaps next week. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.